Hebrews 1 we're going to read from, and we're going to speak about God has spoken to us through Jesus. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spoke in time past unto the fathers for the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, and by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had himself purged our sins, sat down in the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. And I want to take from my text tonight, verse 2. Hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he has appointed of all things, and by whom also he made the worlds. You know, in this, these verses that we've read this morning, I see eight wonderful truths about the Lord Jesus Christ. And what we also see is God's final word to us in Jesus. And by that I mean no one else needs to add to it. No one needs to take anything away from it. His word is accomplished. His will is accomplished. And indeed we just wait until that day when he returns. You know, there, so we see in Jesus the first thing is the full and final revelation from heaven above. And as I said, there's no gurus or no more messiahs to come. There's no more revelations from anyone to come. I don't know if you've been watching the news lately, but apparently they found uh, books from Nostradamus, and he predicted when the queen would die, and apparently Charles isn't going to reign long. And people are listening to this uh, as if he's the, the final voice in the world. But you know something? When we look to Jesus, we see everything that God wants us to see. You know, he's already <coughs> spoken in the full and final manner in Christ. As I've said, no one else can add to God's word. No one else can take away from God's word because he has revealed himself to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we want to know more about God, we look to Jesus. If we want to know more about God's will, we look to the Lord Jesus Christ. If we want to know what's going to happen in the future, we look to the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, in times past, We've seen that God spoke through the prophets. We look in the Old Testament. We think of how he spoke through Moses. And he spoke to Moses and he revealed to Moses how he was going to deliver Israel out of Egypt. How they were going to spend time in the wilderness. He gave them the commandments. And so it was God revealing himself through Moses, telling Moses what to say. Then we go into the other prophets. We go into Elijah. We go into Elisha, Jeremiah. But they were men that were given uh, the inspired word of God. But when Jesus speaks, he is the word of God. Amen. He is the final authority. He's not speaking on someone else's behalf. He's almighty God telling us and showing us what it is he wants us to do Amen. and where it is he wants us to go. And so we see, secondly, that he's been appointed heir of all things. Everything belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything in the world, every part of our lives is subject to Jesus you know, Jesus doesn't want half-baked uh, uh, Christianity. Uh, serve him on the weekend and uh, live as you want the rest of the week. When we look to him and we look, as I've said, God reveals himself. God reveals what he wants through him. Jesus and his earthly minister, ministry was totally devoted to the work of God. There was no distractions. There's no other things in his life. It was to do his father's will. And when we look to him, we learn that this is what God has called us to do because he is the heir of all things. 
It says in John 13, verse 3. Give me a flick there, Peter. Uh, it says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God. We go on to John 16, verse 15. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I that he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. And then finally, Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came and spoke unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. You know, Jesus didn't have a share in the power. He didn't have a, an equal part in the power. He was the power. The fulfillment of all the power was resting in him. You know, all the, the, the wisdom, all the love, all the power, it rested in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we look to him, it just shows us how powerful, how wonderful our God is. It shows us that he is the king of all kings, that he is the Lord of all lords, that his authority is supreme. There's no other, there may be other false gods, there may be other false uh, teachings elsewhere, but the final and ultimate authority rests with the Lord Jesus Christ, with no one else's. As I've said, he doesn't have a share in authority, he is all authority, and all power and everything belongs to him. The world and everything belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. He said in Psalm 50 verse 10, for every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. Every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. And you know, from last week, when I got that little thought when Jay was preaching about the face, I've thought about portions in the Bible, even back to when Abraham took Isaac up into the mountain to make a sacrifice, and the ram was caught in the thicket. That ram obeyed God, when you think of it. It just wasn't a lucky accident to happen, was it? I mean, when uh, they were fishing all night, as I said last week, and they come in, and Jesus says, go back out again, throw the nets on the other side. That whole school of fish just didn't appear, luckily, along the shore. They were commanded by the Lord Jesus Christ. The whale, or the big fish, whatever way you want to put it, for Jonah, whenever it swallowed Jonah as it was, that face happened to be there. Why? Because God directed. He has all authority. We know the incident on the boat when he was sleeping at the end of the boat and the, the disciples, seasoned fishermen, seasoned seamen, they were standing terrified because they knew the waves. They knew we are for it. This boat ain't going to take it no matter what we do. They woke Jesus, panicking. You're not afraid we're going to... And Jesus stood up and he calmed the winds Amen. and the sea. The very elements acknowledge his authority. And he is the heir of all things. He is all authority. It also tells us that by Jesus, God made the world. God created the world by the word of his power. And Jesus is that word. John 1 and 3, it says, All things were made by him, and without him, nothing, not anything made that was made. I like what Spurgeon said. <clears throat> Spurgeon said, I love to think he who created all things is also our Savior. For then he can create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. If I need a completely new creation, as I certainly do, he is equal to the task. You know, church, when you, you, you think of he created the earth, and we tend to worry, and we touched a wee bit on it this morning, the slightest little problems in our lives, and we think God can't do it. We, we limit God. I know it's a, a thing down through time and, and every church and every Christian. We limit God. 
We, we proclaim that we believe that he created the earth. We, we proclaim that he, he created the universe and the vastness and the wonder of the universe, especially this telescope that's flying further into space than any, uh, any spaceship or any camera or any thing has ever gone. And people may talk about the wonder of science, but I see the wonder of God Amen. as you go further and further into the universe. He created all that, and he can care for you, and he can care for me. And when we look to him as the creator, and when we even look about us, I told you this morning, you know I mean, if you can get a helicopter, do it, go up the top of the sleeve down there. The view is unbelievable. The mountains just themselves, such beauty, such, you know, as I always say, it's very picturesque. It's beautiful. And that's God's creation. And I was standing up there yesterday, that just what was on my heart, the wonder and the beauty of God's creation. High them mountains were just put together by the Lord, by the word, by the command, and there they are. And then I look at myself and I worry about this and worry about that. God, who's heir of all things, is authority over all things. Jesus is also the brightness of God's glory. No prophets could claim this. The glory that is in God is the glory that is in Christ. No wonder he has a name that is above every name. Philippians 2 verse 9. Wherefore God also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. Then we go down to verses 10 and 11. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in the earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. He's a brightness of God's glory. You know, the, the people of the world look to Jesus and they see a, a, a very intelligent man. They see a good prophet. They see a good man who did good in the earth. But as God's people, when we look to Jesus, we see the glory of God, the majesty of God. We, as I've said a couple of times, we see the love of God, the power of God. We see the mercy of God. We see the forgiveness of God. He is a light that shines in the darkness of this world. Jesus is the light that shone in the darkness of my life, a light that shone in the darkness of your lives and many other people lost in darkness, lost with no hope, nowhere to turn, at wit's end corner, as we say. And what did they see? They seen the glory of God in Christ Jesus. He is like a glory, like a, a light shining in that darkness, bringing light, bringing peace, bringing comfort. He is indeed the glory, indeed, of the brightness of God's glory. Think of it, church. <clears throat> Many people have been in the world and destroyed by the world, living their lives in darkness. And what happens when they look to Jesus? They see the glory of God. They see one who can help. They see one who can deliver. They see the only one that we can turn to and the only one that can give us true forgiveness. When we turn to him, he indeed is a brightness of God's glory. And he's a brightness of God's glory because he's the express image of God's person. You see, the truth is, church, there is but one God. Many in the media today, as they talk about King Charles, King Charles are talking about the many faiths and the multiculturalism in the United Kingdom and how we all have to accept that. Now, I accept that people can believe what they want to believe, but there's only one God, Amen. and his name is Jesus. Yeah. One God, and his name is yeah. Jesus. And there is only one way into the kingdom of God, and his name is Jesus. Yeah. Through his special sacrifice, which we'll look at, in a minute, look at in a minute. But you know, 
even as Christians, do we really see him as the one and the only true God? Do we, you know, honestly ask yourself that? I can ask myself that question. Because when I read the word of God, and I read the conversations he had with the disciples, I think of Philip. And Philip asked him, he says, you know, show us the Father. And then in John 14, verse 9, it says, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou, show us the Father? Let me go down to verse 11. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me. Or else believe me for the very work's sake. So in other words, <clears throat> he was telling Philip, you, you, you haven't recognized it in looking at me, but believe in me for the work's sake, for the very work's sake. In other words, what you have seen, Philip, what you have witnessed, Philip, the power that you have witnessed, the wisdom that you have witnessed, the love that you have witnessed, the patience that you have witnessed, the reaching out, the healings, the miracles that you have witnessed, believe in me for the very work's sake. And what he's saying to us is look at your life, we know if we're not recognizing him as, as a Christ, the almighty God, and he is in the Father, the Father's in him, then he's saying to us, look at me, believe in me for thy very work's sake. Believe in me because you are saved. Believe in me because think of the times that I have delivered you. Think of the life that I have brought you from. Think of the times that I have intervened. Think of the times that I have walked through the waters with you. Think of the times when you've been in the fire and I've been in the fire with you. Think of the times when you felt alone and yet I was there. You know, sometimes we're like that. <clears throat> I remember one night at a Bible study. I was in here I was going out the door and Pastor Connolly shook my hand. He says, oh, Colin, I didn't know you were here. And you know, I thought about that and thought about that. And, it, and I look at my life and sometimes I've said, I didn't know God was there. But when I look back and see it, as David says, I was young, now I'm old, I've never seen the righteous forsaken. So for his very work's sake in your life, believe in God. Think of the prayers that God has answered in your life. Think of the prayers that you've made for your children. Think of the prayers that you've made for those who were ill and you were worried about them at the time. And God has answered them. Maybe not the way we wanted them answered, but God has answered them. When we look to Jesus, can we see him as the Father, as the everlasting Father? Isaiah the prophet revealed it to us in Isaiah 9 verse 6. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the increase of his government there shall be no end. So Jesus is saying to us tonight, believe me for my very work's sake in your life. Sometimes we forget that, don't we? Sometimes we're a bit like we are with each other. People, you know, when, when we think they've wronged us, we don't appreciate everything they've done in our lives because we'll, we'll let that old carnal man get his voice into our ear and, and tell us how bad they are. And even as Christians, I know and I've heard Christians and I've listened to Christians and they've been through bad situations in their lives and they've been big enough to admit, you know, I question God. And I've always said to them, do you know something? God wants you to question him because he said, come aside Let's reason together. And that's why I love the psalmist, David. Read the psalms. I see David full of doubt and questioning God. 
Why do the heathen rage? Why do the people imagine a vain thing? Why do the kings of the earth set themselves? All these things. But see when he reasons with God, he finishes what we call parallel psalms with God's hand in his life. And he starts praising and thanking God. And I think God opens his eyes when he's having a little pity party and God makes him realize that you believe in me for the very things and for the very works that you have seen me do in your life. And we can all do that, church, can't we? We can believe in him for the great things that he has done in our lives. He's certainly the brightness of God's glory and is the express image of God's person. Amen. <clears throat> and you know something? He is upholding all things by the word of his power. You see, not only was the word created by him, but the forces of nature are upheld by him. Think of it. His creation is absolutely perfect. Absolutely perfect. I was reading, there's a good book, uh, <coughs> Evidence uh, for God in Science, I think it's called. And this guy was talking, I can't remember the exact numbers, but the Earth's axis, if it's if something as little, I think it said, of two degrees, the Earth would freeze. Or if it was two degrees the other way, the Earth would melt. It would just burn from the sun. And that, from God's creation, which is 6,000 plus years, it has been perfectly orbiting the sun. The moon has been perfectly uh, orbiting the earth. And why? It's by the word of his power. Jesus spoke and it was done. Every planet, there's a significance which we don't understand and I don't believe we'll understand until the Lord comes back. But they're all there for a purpose and for a reason. And when God comes back, I'm looking forward to getting all that explained. But until then, I'm just going to be in awe and wonder at his wonderful creation because he upholds it by his power. The wind, as I've said, the ocean, the rain, they're all under his control. They're all under his control. I told you about that video and it was proved to be a proper video from the Philippines when this whirlwind was heading towards this town and everyone was leaving in this Christian church. They all got together and they were praising and speaking in tongues and, and they were speaking in tongues. It wasn't just because I couldn't understand Philippine. They were speaking in tongues. And you see this thing coming towards them and then going away. And that's the power of God. And then you see them all rejoicing. And you can hear many testimonies like that of how God, by the power of his word, has changed things. And like I've said earlier on there, the small details of our lives are under control too. And that blows me away. You know, when you look, sometimes <clears throat> we're all human, and not just being a pastor or any job, sometimes you're so busy doing something that you can't tend to the, the minor things, the trivial things. But you know something? That's not God. Although God is keeping the universe ticking over, as I say, but the tiny things in our lives, he's still concerned about them. He still deals with them. They're not that insignificant and unimportant that he just forgets about them. God watches over us, and he's upholding us by the power of his word. And the wonderful thing about our Savior is that he has purged our sins. And, you know, when you read this uh, portion of Scripture in the book of Hebrews, the writer moves effortlessly from Christ's power to his purging. He shows us the creator and the sustainer, and then he becomes the sin bearer. You see, in order to create the universe, we know that he only had to speak. In order to maintain and guide the universe, he only had to speak the word, and it was done. But you know something? In order to take away the sin once and for all, He had to die on the cross. It's not amazing. Almighty God chose 
to become a human, God incarnate in flesh. He chose to suffer and die on the cross for your sins and for mine. In order to take away our sins, to become the sin bearer, he had to die. And uh, I was reading the Believer's Bible Commentary, and they said, (coughs) it is staggering to think that the, the sovereign Lord would stoop to become the sacrificial lamb. The God of all creation is the sacrificial lamb. And because, as I've said, he's the revelation of God's word, he is now sitting in what one commentator I read said, he's sitting in cosmic authority. Jesus is now exalted. He rose from the grave. He ascended into heaven, and he's now seated in the highest honor. Revelation 4 and 2. It says, Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And you know, I've never thought of this before, and it's not my idea, I read it, but the, it said that the seated posture is one of rest. One of rest. Now I know God's still working, still watching over us, still maintaining by the power of his word the universe and everything, but the idea here was redemption was accomplished, and he was able to sit on the throne. There was nothing more to do concerning the salvation of man. No more work needed. We cannot add to our salvation. We cannot take away from our salvation. It has been accomplished by the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing can change that. No one can change it. No matter what happens, church, redemption has been accomplished and we can stand tonight and say that we are saved by the precious blood of the Lamb of God, that we are saved by him who created the universe. And such was his love, such was his mercy, such was his forgiveness, that he looks down through the annals of time and he sees Hugh Sloan, he sees Brenda, he sees Ruth, and he died on the cross for their sins. What a savior we serve tonight. He is exalted on high. He is a name above every name. He is the Lord of all lords. He's the king of all kings. And one day he's coming back to rule and to reign on this earth. And I'm just looking forward. If you read Job 19, 26, another verse I quote all the time. And he said, even after his skin is destroyed, this I know that my redeemer will one day stand on this earth and my eyes shall behold him. (coughs) My flesh shall see him. And we're looking forward to that glorious and wonderful day. So what a God we serve, folks. What a wonderful, beautiful, loving, preserving, keeping, merciful, forgiving God that each one of us have in our lives. Hallelujah. So let's just praise him tonight. Let's ask Peter to come back. And let's just thank him for who he is. And instead of, you know, just sort of singing who he is, let us believe who he is. He is our God. Amen. He is God manifest in flesh. I wish I had better words to just say how much I love the Lord. We're thankful to him. Amen. And how much that I, when I look at the works that he's done in my life, the works that he's done in this church, the works that he's done throughout this land, Amen. we just have to stand in awe and worship him. So Peter, come along. Let's stand in his presence. And let's worship the Lord together.